Chapter Twenty of the Book of Camping and Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Camping and Woodcraft, a guidebook for those who travel in the wilderness, by Horace Kephart. Chapter Twenty tanning pelts other animal products tanning a robe with the fur on while the methods used by regular furriers in tanning pelts with the fur on are complicated and beyond the resources of men in the woods at the same time very good results may be obtained by the simpler means described below the best work is done with skins fresh from the animal cleanse all blood and dirt from the pelt by soaking it in running water from one to four hours depending upon temperature of the water and quality of fur or if the skinning has been carefully done the fur can be cleaned by sponging soaking is necessary to relax a dried skin if a skin be immersed too long the hair or fur will slip particularly if the water be warm next thoroughly rub into the flesh side plenty of table salt double the skin first side out roll it up and let it lie overnight then work it over a beam with a scraper carefully removing all flesh and fat a greasy skin will not take the tan hot cornmeal hot sand or sawdust will help to remove grease but be particular not to get it on the fur for it may be hard to remove if benzing were to be had the skin could be immersed in it for an hour and then dried the pelt is now ready for tanning the easiest way to do this is to soak it at least two days in the tan liquor described in the preceding chapter one quart of salt boiled in a gallon of water then one ounce of sulfuric acid added if you prefer to keep the fur dry through the process simply sponge the tan liquor on the flesh side from time to time keeping it moistened thus for a couple of days then rinse out the superfluous salt with clean water let the skin become partially dry and then work it over the edge of a plank or a tightly stretched rope until the fiber is broken up to stretch a dressed skin so that it will lie flat on the floor moisten the flesh side with water and when it is relaxed tack it fur side out on a board or the side of a building in a shady place if the skin has hardened when dry again work it out once more over the plank after a skin has thoroughly dried it may be worked down as thin and soft as desired by rubbing it with a piece of sandpaper folded over a block of wood to tan a pelt with alum first cleanse it and rub salt into it as described above then rub into it a good sprinkling of powdered alum but keep this out of the fur for alum makes it hard to wash afterwards roll the skin up and let it lie at least two days preferably longer then place it in a stretcher and draw it tightly in every direction so that there will be no wrinkles but not tight enough to make the fur thin smear the flesh side with a paste of flour oatmeal and water and let it dry thoroughly in the shade now work off the paste with a dull knife afterwards place the stretched skin in a damp place until the superfluous salt comes out in beads of brine on the flesh side wash this off or the skin will turn damp thereafter in moist weather 
then dry the skin again thoroughly after this wash and scour it with yellow soap and water to which a little ammonia has been added the water should be as hot as the hand can bear thoroughly rinse all soap from the fur but let as little water get on it as possible give the pelt a hard shaking and hang it fur side out to dry when it is about half dry work it over the edge of a plank or a square bar of iron to draw out and soften every part of the skin then work it with a knife finish off with sandpaper or pumice stone and comb out the fur in preparing a rug on which the animal's head is to be mounted as for example a bear's head with the mouth open the skin of the head should not be tanned but merely salted robes indian tanned it is possible to make a soft and pliable robe without tanning after the indian method but it is hard work the method employed on buffalo robes has been described by colonel dodge as follows quote, the skin of even the youngest and fattest cow is in its natural condition much too thick for use being unwieldy and lacking pliability this thickness must be reduced at least one half and the skin at the same time made soft and pliable when the stretched skin has become dry and hard from the action of the sun the woman goes to work with a small implement shaped somewhat like a carpenter's ad it has a short handle of wood or elkhorn tied on with rawhide and is used with one hand this was before iron or steel tools were obtainable with this tool the woman chips at the hardened skin cutting off a thin shaving at every blow the skill in the whole process consists in so directing and tempering the blows as to cut the skin yet not cut too deep and in finally obtaining a uniform thickness and perfectly smooth and even inner surface to render the skin soft and pliable the chipping is stopped every little while and the chipped surface smeared with brains of buffalo which are thoroughly rubbed in with a smooth stone when very great care and delicacy are required the skin is stretched vertically on a frame of poles it is claimed that the chipping process can be much more perfectly performed on a skin stretched in this way than on one stretched on the uneven and unyielding ground but the latter is used for all common robes because it is the easiest when the thinning and softening process is completed the robe is taken off of its frame trimmed and sometimes smoked it is now ready for use this is a long and tedious process and no one but an indian would go through it unquote. sometimes after the fleshing of the hide was complete a mixture of boiled brains marrow grease and pounded roast liver were thickly spread on the flesh side and allowed to dry in then the hide was rubbed with fat dampened with warm water rolled up and laid away for a day after this the hide was slowly dried in the sun or very carefully before a fire being frequently and thoroughly rubbed over a riata while drying furs that one intends to sell to a furrier should be stretched and dried without any preservative not even salt tanning a snake skin a snake's skin is easily tanned either with the tan liquor or with alum all foreign matter is scraped from it the skin is then re-soaked and washed clean with soap and water 
if a smooth board be procurable the skin can be squeegeed to the plane surface and it will cling to the board naturally a tack on each side every eight or ten inches will keep it in place while drying after two or three days the skin can be removed softened with oil and rolled up until wanted glue the indian method of making and using glue may come in handy at times when one is far in the wilderness the glue is made from the hooves of deer or any other hooved animal by boiling a stick is then cut about six inches long and as thick as one's little finger one end of this is dipped into the melted glue which is allowed to harden this process is then repeated until there is a considerable bulb of glue on the end of the stick to use it the stick is dipped in hot water and then rubbed on the object to be glued working in horn horn is easily manipulated by soaking it in boiling water the western indians used to make superior bows of buffalo horns and from those of the mountain sheep by leaving the horns in hot springs until they were perfectly malleable then straightening them and cutting them into strips of suitable width two buffalo horns were pierced in the center and riveted then bound strongly at the splice with sinew to make a horn cup select a large horn with a sharp bend in it trim the butt end smooth and even for the bottom of the cup then back from this at a distance equal to the proposed height of the cup saw through the greater part of the horn as shown in the diagram but leave enough of the top for a handle the latter strip being about six inches long and three-quarter inch wide scrape the handle gradually down to one-eighth inch thickness at the end then soak the handle in a strong boiling solution of lime until it is soft bend it backward around a stick and bind the end fast to base of handle at top until it has cooled and hardened then fit a wooden bottom in it and tack and lute it in place a powerful cement or lute for such purposes as well as for mending broken vessels is made by kneading with a stick a strong solution of newly slaked lime in a dough-like mass with glue or blood or white of egg before putting in the bottom scrape and sandpaper the cup inside and out such a cup is light it stands the hard knocks of travel better than a metal one and it is pleasanter to drink hot coffee from it can be ornamented with scrimshaw carvings a huntsman's horn the following description of how to make a huntsman's horn is condensed from one given some years ago by d m morris select a cow's horn fourteen to sixteen inches long twelve inches will do with a limber stick determine how far the hollow extends and saw off the tip about one inch above that point with a gimlet bore down to the hollow taking care to hit it fairly ream out the hole from one quarter to five sixteenth inch diameter dress the horn down with a half round file but do not scrape it be careful to get a fair and even surface to avoid working the horn too thin press with thumb on doubtful places to see if there is any spring work down the neck as much as it will safely bear a brass furl should now be fitted tightly around the neck to prevent the stem of the mouthpiece from splitting it now to polish the horn take a piece of sandpaper two or three inches square and a little finer than the file in the palm of the right hand then grasping the horn with the left hand 
twist it round and round from end to end, occasionally rubbing it lengthwise. Continue this process with finer grades of sandpaper till the very finest has been used, and complete the polishing with pumice or rotten stone and water. Then get from any dealer in musical instruments an E-flat or coronet mouthpiece. Fit it perfectly, drive it in tightly, and your horn is complete. Or take the small end of another horn, or the piece sawed off, and with a sharp and round-pointed pocket knife work out a conical cavity in the large end, and make a hole through the small end for the stem. Work off the outside, shaping it in the form of a cone the sides of which are concave near the base and convexed towards the stem. This shape will look well, and the top will be thick enough to rest easily against the lips. The hole should be around the size of a rye straw. The shape of the mouthpiece and the size of the hole, provided it be large enough, do not materially affect the horn. The stem of the mouthpiece should be three-quarter to one inch long. If shorter, the sound will be too harsh if longer, too soft and not far-sounding. Long horns produce flat sounds, shorter ones sharp sounds. A good horn may be heard three to three and a half miles. The best horns have a double curve, crooks in two directions, gradually tapering from butt to tip, highly colored, and with black or dark points. A part of the butt must always be removed, as it is thin and brittle. Gun oil. It is easy to make excellent gun oil from the fat of almost any animal. Never use a vegetable oil on a firearm. It is sure to gum. Rattlesnake oil has more body than almost any other animal oil, but that of woodchucks, squirrels, coons, etc. is good. A fine oil can also be made from the flat of a roughed goose or from the marrow of a deer's leg bone. Put the fat on a board and with a sharp knife cut it up fine. Then put it out in the hot sunlight, or warm it gently, do not let it get hot, before the fire. Now force the oil through a strong cloth bag by squeezing it. To clarify it so that it will never become viscid, put it in a bottle with a charger shot, or some shavings of lead, and stand the bottle where the sun's rays will strike it. A heavy deposit will fall. Repeat and you will then have an oil equal to that of watchmakers but with enough body to stay where it is put, rather than running down into the chamber of the gun, so as to leave unprotected spots in the barrel. A large squirrel will yield over an ounce of tried oil, a fat woodchuck nearly a pint, and a beaver several gallons. Eight gallons of grease has been procured from a big grizzly. Bear's oil. Bear's oil, by the way, is better than lard for shortening biscuit and for frying and, when mixed with sugar and spread on bread, is not a bad substitute for butter and syrup. It is rendered by cooking in a pot hung high over a slow fire, so as not to scorch the fat, which would give off an acrid smell and make the oil less bland. No salt is added. The oil will keep sweet without it, unless in very hot weather, when it should be kept in a cool room, or in a spring, or in a pot sunk in the earth. The Indians who were very fond of bear's grease, used to preserve it so that it would not turn rancid even when they were traveling in summer, by adding the inner bark of a slippery elm, one drachm to a pound of grease, 
keeping them heated together for a few minutes and then straining off they also used sassafras bark and wild cinnamon for the same purpose bear's oil is superior to olive oil for the table and can be used with impunity by people whose stomachs will not endure pork fat i happened to be rendering some bear's grease at the time of this writing the yield is a gallon of oil to ten pounds of fat rattlesnake oil rattlesnake oil is solemnly regarded by the old-fashioned pennsylvania dutch as a specific for rheumatism ringworm styes sore eyes generally and even for hydrophobia a large fat snake yields from two to two and a half ounces of oil a piece of muslin is stretched over a glass jar and the fat which resembles that of a chicken is spread on this the hot summer sun renders it and the muslin strains it the dutch are reported to have a curious way of telling whether the snake has bitten itself and thereby poisoned its fat they drop a little of the oil into a glass of milk if the oil floats as a film on top it is good but if it separates into small beads and the milk gathers in thick white flakes as though soured it is a sign that the snake bit itself slush lamps while i am on the subject of animal fats and oils I may as well say something about extemporized lights for a fixed camp that is far in the wilderness. A slush lamp is made by taking a tin can, half filling it with sand or earth, sticking in it a thin rod of pine or some other inflammable wood, wrapping around this a strip of soft cotton cloth, and filling the can with melted fat which contains no salt. Grease can be freed from salt by boiling it in water. This is a much better arrangement than to use a shallow dish, or, as some have done, a mussel shell, and letting the end of the immersed wick project over one side, where it will drip grease. But such a light, although it was the best that many of our pioneers had in olden days, is at best a smoky and stinking affair. The estimation to which it was held by those who had to use it may be judged from the fact that in english-speaking countries it has universally been known as slut except in the klondike where they call it a bitch a rush light is made by soaking the pitch of rushes in melted tallow when dry a length of the rush is then placed in a split stick or any kind of clip and lighted candles whenever deer elk or other animals whose fat is tallow are procurable there is no excuse but laziness for such vile illumination very satisfactory candles can be made by the following process which is called dipping for wicking use cotton cord loosely unwound or dry shredded bark put your tallow in a kettle with some boiling water one part of hog's lard to three of tallow may improve the product scald and skim twice lay two poles sideways and about a foot apart on supports so that they shall be about as high from the ground as the top of an ordinary chair cut some sticks about thirteen or eighteen inches long for candle rods twist your wicking one way then double it slip the loop over the candle rod and twist the other way making a firm wick put about six wicks on each rod a couple of inches apart dip a row of wicks into the melted tallow place the rod across the two long poles and thus dip each row of wicks in turn each will have time to cool and harden between the dips if allowed to cool too fast 
they will crack so work slowly when the first dipping has hardened repeat the process and so on until the candles are of desired thickness replenish the tallow as needed taking it off the fire of course for each dip this is the way our foremothers made candles before they got candle molds for a candlestick split the end of a stick for several inches then again crosswise open these segments by pushing a flat thin stick down each insert candle and remove wedges sharpen the other end of the stick and jab it into the ground wherever wanted or put a loop of bark in the cleft end of a stick the loop protruding at one side or cut the end of a large potato square off and gouge a hole for the candle in the opposite end soap making soap can be made wherever there is wood and grease a rough and ready way is to boil wood ashes from the campfire in a little water and allow them to settle the clear liquid being decanted off this can be done from day to day until the required quantity of weak lye has accumulated evaporate this by boiling it until it is strong enough to float an egg then melt down any kind of animal fat do not have the kettle more than half full and while it is hot add it to the boiling lye continue boiling and stirring until the mixture is of about the consistency of a thick porridge then pour it into any flat vessel and let it cool the result is soft soap to make hard soap you have merely to stir into the above as soon as it is poured out some salt in the proportion of two to three pints to five gallons of soap a little powdered rosin added gradually to the melted tallow before mixing with the lye will make the soap firmer soap can be made without boiling but it takes longer lye running only the ashes of hardwood are good for lye those of resinous woods will not mix with the fat in boiling the woods richest in potash are hickory sugar maple ash beech and buckeye the poisonous kernels of buckeye are soapy and can be used to cleanse fine fabrics as lye is often useful to a backwoods tanner and for other purposes it may be worth while to put up an ash hopper at a permanent camp take a section of hollow tree or a barrel with both heads knocked out stand it on a wide board which is elevated high enough for a bucket to stand below it cut a groove in the board around the bottom of the barrel and out to one end of the board tilt the board a little and fasten it so that the liquor from the barrel will follow the grooved channel to the end of the board and thus trickle into a pail set below it now put the two or three layers of small round sticks in the bottom of the barrel laying each course crosswise over the one below cobhouse fashion and on top of this lay a couple of inches of straw or some coarse grass now put your ashes in the barrel tamping them down firmly as they are shoved in make a funnel-shaped depression on the top and pour a bucket of water into it it will be from half a day to a day before the leech will run therefore keep some water standing in the depression adding only when the other water has disappeared if the ashes have been firmly tamped the leech will only trickle through and this is what you want the first run will be strong enough to cut grease latter runs should be put through twice such lie needs no boiling down End of chapter 20